Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Well, thank you. I'm Doug Lay, and as you heard in the introduction, I lead the Radiant Leadership Academy, which, um, if you know anything about me, I'm an intense dude. If you want to uh, ask me out for lunch and you want to talk about the weather or sports or something, that's not me. But if you want to get into it and talk about life-changing things, then I'm your guy. And so that's what I'm going to bring to the pulpit, so let's get into it. You ready? Think about this for a moment. Here's an RLA moment for you. This is a fav, uh, one of my favorite sayings. It's from a book that I highly recommend. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in it, he starts off with this. It's about the attributes of God. And he starts off with this saying that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's your RLA moment. Wow, think about that. You know? You're like, I didn't have enough coffee. I'm like, hurry, hurry up and chug it, okay? <laughs> Pastor Kyle's laughing. I'm over there chugging Red Bull. So you're going to have to keep up with me. What we think about God is the most important thing about us, what comes to our mind. And if you know God as your heavenly father, Jesus taught us if we've experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, God is not just now the God of heaven, but he's our heavenly father. That's what he taught us in the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven. Do we think correctly about our heavenly father? That's what I want to talk about this morning, thinking correctly about our heavenly father. And there's a key question I want you to ask. Is God good? Is God good? Because everything I say after this will depend on how you answer that question. Is God good? Uh, my doctorate's in apologetics. I, I, I speak with non-Christians who interact with how do we defend the Christian faith. And the statistic is true from my personal experience. The survey says that the number one reason why people reject becoming a Christian is because they do not believe that there is a good God. I mean, come on. How do you look at... El Paso and Ohio? How do you look at hurricanes and disease, cancer? How can there be a good God? When I first came a Christian, one of my high school friends, his sister died of cancer, and I was witnessing sharing God to, sharing Jesus to him, and he just looked at me and goes, there's no God. If he did, why would he let my sister die? How can there be a good God with so much messed upness in the world? And that's a good question. The Bible is very clear, though. And the church needs to be very clear. God is good. In fact, the scripture all throughout, one of just one verse I picked out of hundreds, 1 Chronicles 16, 34, just, oh, give thanks to the Lord for what? He is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. It's, that's translated, that word loving kindness. Some say his loyal love, his mercy is forever. It's the word chesed in, in Hebrew, and it means loyal love, covenant love. God's going to always love you. He's not going to break that love. He's not going to run away. So many of you, when you hear the word father, God is your heavenly father, it just, what does that mean? Is God angry and he's going to beat me up? He's going to abuse me like my father did? Some of you are going to be like me. You know, God, my dad abandoned me, so God... Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Because he's like my dad. He's not around when I need him, so I'll just have to figure it out on my own. Do I really believe God is good? Yeah, I'm in church. I'm going to say it, but in your heart, do you really believe God is good? If he is, why am I in this circumstance? In fact, God asks you to try, test him, see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8 says. Oh, how blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Is there anyone here who's tasted and seen how good the Lord is? Yeah. 
I want that to just sit with you for the rest of the message because that's not actually my message. That's just the introduction. <laughs> you know? I think I'm supposed to get up here and say kind of a funny joke and get you to like me, but you know, I, I'm an intense dude, so I just wanted to share that with you. Because so, my talk is actually about parenting. I want to talk to the parents in the room for a little bit. Now, you're over here going, well, I'm visiting this church, I'm single, and i got to hear about parenting. No, you hold on. You hold on. I have a message for you. This is going to come full back to circle to all of us. I want to talk to the parents because I had an experience in 1990. I was in graduate school, just had our fourth kid, and I was in the shower, and um, I just had an intense moment where I just started thinking about all the things I did wrong, how wayward I was in high school, and the drugs and alcohol, and just my life was a mess, and and I got really angry at my parents, especially my dad, and I just started screaming, where were you? Why didn't you help me? And then I just got quiet, and I'm just in the shower, and all of a sudden, in that quietness, God spoke to me and said, okay, Doug, you're a father. Now, what are you going to do different? I actually wrote it in my journal, and I just was reading it the other day. I wrote, it was at that moment I quit being angry at my parents. <laughs> you know, they did the best they did. I didn't need to judge them. What was I going to do, though? And I... I didn't have an answer. I mean, I don't know, you parents, you know when that baby comes out and you're holding naked, you're looking, there's no instruction manual. What am I supposed to do with this thing, you know? My wife and I, we went home, put it in the crib, and we just stood there and looked at it like, what now? I didn't have examples, so I didn't know how from my family life. You know, if you read 10 parenting books, you get 11 different opinions. What am I supposed to do? And then in a clarity of praying, God showed me and says, you call me Heavenly Father. Look to me on how to parent. And God brought me to these principles out of the book of Genesis of how God parented his first child, Adam. And I applied these principles to my life. My wife and I lived by these principles to pastor and minister and love on our children the way God pastors and ministers and love us as his children. Now, let me tell you, I am not the perfect parent. He is. In fact, I wrote all my kids yesterday, and I said, I know you've seen behind the curtain. You know what I am. And I wrote to my kids. We have four kids. They all have radical walks with Jesus. We have so many grandkids. We have our own tribe now. I mean, the kids are all over. And we're seeing the fruit being passed on. And we take no credit, but we take credit in God's word because God is faithful to his word. So I want to share these five principles of what we learned about how to be a good parent by looking at the perfect parent. The first thing that a good parent does, the perfect parent does, is creates a good environment for his children. Creates a good environment. And that's what God did. If you read the beginning in Genesis, in creation, it keeps saying over and over one, day one, and it was good, day three, and it was good, day four, and it was good, and it comes to the end, and it says, and behold, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was not just good, it was very good. It's emphatic in the Hebrew there. He, God is like, mm, this is mm, delicious, good. This is good. See, do we believe that? All the messed upness in the world, do we believe God created it good? And there's this lie that's crept into the church. Do you know, and okay, I'm going to go off script, but this is RLA stuff. And, and Do you know Charles Darwin was more of a philosopher than a scientist? Do you understand what that philosophy is? That, that we came up from primordial soup and that there's been death and getting over each other. You know, life is just about becoming a tadpole and the bigger tadpole killed the littler tadpole who became dogs, who became monkeys, who became people. And there's no significance in it. There's no meaning. It's just random by chance. And then we wonder why somebody would go into a Walmart and shoot somebody. Why not? Because if we're just dogs, if we're just animals, why not just kill each other? 
Why is suicide so high? Because I have no significance. There's no idea that I'm created in the image of God. I'm just an animal. And that's creeping into the church, and the church has to say no. God is good, and he created it good. And because of that, I can have hope that it's going to be good in the end. Because see, in evolution, you have no hope. You can only hope it's going to turn out better. And isn't life getting really much better? Yeah, we should all laugh at that. But it's going to be better when Christ comes back. And we have hope, and the church needs to tell the world we have an answer and we have hope. God created it good. But what about your parents? Do you create a good environment for your children? Now, what do I mean by that? I, I love this. I always put this in my notes. YBH, YBH, and I just put it there at the beginning. What do I mean? Yes, but how? Yes, but how? Don't, okay, Doug, create a good environment. I'm, how do I create a good environment? And so many of you have got the wrong message. You've heard from the world. Go to school, get a job, make money, build a big house, give them nice cars, give your kids nice clothes, send them to the best schools, and, and that's a good environment for your children. And then you wonder why your children are rebellion. They're messed up. They flunk out of college because they're high on weed every day. Because you created the wrong environment. See, that's just material things. And I'm not saying anything right or wrong about that, but that's not what we're talking about. The best way to create a good environment for your children, and this is one of my life-changing moments, speak words of life. Speak words of life in your home. Are you the kind of house that your kid wants to run home to or run away from? Because mom and dad are always bickering. They're always complaining. His grades are never good enough. She's never smart enough. She's not practicing enough. She's not, and it's just this fighting and dog eat dog, and the kid just can't wait to get away. Is your house a house of peace? You know, the Bible literally says in Proverbs 17, it's better to have a dry morsel in, in a tin and just in poverty than to have a feast with strife. So many of your houses, there's just so much bickering and complaining. Fathers, take control of your house and speak life into it. Mothers, take control of the situation and speak life into it. Now, I want to take a moment. We don't talk about this much in church, but I want to talk to the single parents for a second. You have it hard. I get it, trying to raise children on your own. But let me tell you right now, I don't care if your ex is the Antichrist, okay? I don't care if you think she is Jezebel incarnate. You never speak a word of death over that ex in front of your children because you know what? That man, that woman is still the parent of that child, and you need to speak words of life into that. And I know your child comes home and goes, Mommy, do you know what Dad says about, said about you? And you just say, Honey, we're just going to pray that God grabs his heart one day. And you could be thinking in your mind, God, grab his throat and choke him, you know? <laughs> but don't you say it. Don't you say it because you know what? Parents, listen to me. Truth and time go hand in hand. And one day your child's going to know you took the high road and you spoke life. And they'll know the truth. Create a good environment for your children. That's what a good parent does. Let's continue on. The second thing a good parent does is gives responsibility to his children. Gives responsibility to his children. See, people think that God, work is part of the curse. No, right from the beginning, God took man, it says there in Genesis 2.15, and planted him in the garden and told him to cultivate it and to keep it. He gave him work. He gave him responsibility. And that's what Christians are supposed to do. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to go out in the world and make the world better. We're supposed to be coming up with inventions to make life better, to make improve things. We're not supposed to be the church that just get away from the big bad world and let's stay away and let's huddle to ourselves. No, we have a responsibility to be the light of Christ to the world and to go out and make a difference. That's what God wants from us. What about you? Do you give responsibility to your children or do you do everything for them? 
Hey, I got a recipe. If you want your child to be 30-some years old and never be able to keep a job and never progress and laying on your couch playing video games all the time, you know what? Do everything for them. It works. We're seeing it all the time now. Kids who don't take any responsibilities because they never learned any from their parents. I love, if you want to keep your kids grounded, put some responsibilities on their shoulder. Don't be afraid. They can handle it. Expect great things from your children. Expect them. Give them the responsibilities. Don't rise to the occasion because you're going to speak life into it. That's what a good parent does. Third thing is, sets boundaries. A good parent sets boundaries. God did this. The perfect parent, God, set boundaries. He, he took Adam and Eve. And, and God, you know, people have this wrong conception that God's some killjoy. That's what the world is. He's just some angry man. And oh, God is fun. He's life. You Christians, you should know he came to give us life and give it abundantly, right? And we're the, I mean, I can't, you know me. I, when I see an angry Christian, griping Christian, I tell them, go tell people you're another religion. <laughs> we're supposed to be happy and full of joy because we're doing it God's way. And there is joy in the Lord, Right? Somebody's with me in this, I think. But God said, go to the man and go and enjoy all the garden. He said, Adam, go enjoy yourself. Eat from any tree of the garden and enjoy yourself. But there's some boundaries. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with every boundary, there's a consequence. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. God gave a boundary. And he expected them to keep it. And a good parent, you need to do that. Your children need to know there are boundaries that they should not cross. And they should be specific and they should know the consequence. I learned this the hard way. I, I, um, I used to say this to my teenage kids. I'd always say, uh, um, don't do something stupid. When they were going out that night, I said, hey, just don't do anything stupid. Well, you know what I learned later on? That wasn't really good parenting because to a 40-year-old man, stupid means something very different than the 16-year-old boy. You, you ever notice that? No, son, if you come home, curfew's 10 o'clock. If you come home at 10.05, you're not driving a car for three months. That's a consequence. That's a boundary. Daughter, I want you to have your room clean by the time we have dinner. And if it's not, I'm taking your toys away for six months because if you can't take care of your room, you're not going to be able to take care of your toys. And I'm going to set boundaries, and I'm going to hold you to it. See, God says what he means and means what he says. Parents, you need to understand this. We say... You know, you've been taught a lot in church, learn to say no, right? You're overextended, you're burned out. That's not the full point. You need to understand that no is a complete sentence, okay? You gotta get that. Parents, you set your boundaries and you tell your child that no is a complete sentence. Don't give reasons. God many times does not give us reasons. He just tells us thou shalt not or thou shalt. I mean, he doesn't explain why because listen, when you start getting into the explanations, you're giving them a reason for an excuse. Because your child's sitting there listening to your reason not to do something, they're like, huh, well, my argument's better than that, so maybe I won't do it. And we wonder why our children rebel. We see this creep into church. Let me have an RLA moment again. See this creep into the church. I'm a theologian. I love running in academia. And, 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 but these new crafty theologians, they're so smart, and they're coming up with this new way of thinking. And and, you know, God said, don't do this, but you know what? Let's go back and look at the cultural context, and I'll explain why God said not to do that. And then they start saying, because of the culture and because of the situation, that's why God said no. But our culture's different, so you know what? It's okay if we do it. Wait a minute. God didn't say his reason. That's your reason. 
but it's our way of getting away from not following the boundaries. God said no, and that's all he said. And we've lost this idea of authority structure. And I get it. The world's messed up with authority structure. But the church is clear. There is a God. And he has authority. But it goes back to that first question. Is he good? See, if you had an abusive father, it was hard to listen to his instructions, right? He comes home drunk, he beats your mom, and then he tells you to clean your room. And you're like, what? What kind of dad is this? You know? And it was hard to follow his instructions. But some of you had good dads. You had good mothers who loved you. And, and when they told you don't do something, you obeyed, right? Why? Because you knew they loved you and they had your best interest at heart. So whether you obey depends on how you view God. But parents, just remember, don't give a reason. Here's your point. Son, don't do that. Why, mom? Because I brought you into this world and I can take you out, okay? <laughs> there you go. There's my reason. You have to instill in your children authority. And the world doesn't respect authority now. Have you noticed that? But I can't do anything about the world, but we can do something about the church. We can be a shining light to the world and say, we know who the true authority is and who's a good, good father, who's perfect in all of his ways. That wasn't just a song we sang. It was a heartfelt worship moment of who our God and father is. But then the next point is a good parent, the perfect parent, keeps his word in disciplines. Keeps his word in disciplines. I love Genesis 5, 5. So all the days of Adam were 930 years. And then he, what? He died. You know, if it would have been a modern parent, we would have said, oh, Adam, you ate from the tree. Oh, that's terrible. Tragedy. Here, let me plant another tree. Let's try this again, okay? <laughs> no, God means what he says and says what he means. And here's the consequence, and you have to suffer for it. That's so mean. No, that's the way it works. What's mean is not having consequences. Because the Bible says a child left in his way becomes a disgrace to his mother. I was on an airplane one time. I fly about 150,000 miles a year. And I was on one time, I was on an airplane and there was a five, six-year-old boy in there. And uh, I'm pretty sure he had 666 somewhere tattooed on his body. <laughs> he was the worst kid I have ever seen in my life. He's kicking the seat in front of him, throwing things, yelling and screaming. And I'm sitting there and my ears perked up because I heard the dad say, now, I'm not going to tell you again, and when I hear that, man, my ears go up, because you know what's happening. He's going to tell him again, and he's going to tell him. So I started counting. I just had a little fun. Over 30 times, this father was saying, that's the last time I'm telling you, not one more time. I almost choked the father and said, is this your last time? <laughs> but God gave me a moment of grace. I had candy in my bag. I became the hero of the plane. I took the candy, gave it to the kid. He sat there and gorged himself on candy. People were literally high-fiving me as I walked out the plane. <laughs> Because the father did not understand, you say what you mean and you mean what you say. To that child, his father was just a liar. Wow. Sounds harsh, but it's true. If you don't keep your word, you're lying. And you never have the respect of your child. You set the boundaries and you keep your word. Now, you need to understand what the world has crept into the church and it's ruined a lot of parents. You need to understand this. Remember, discipline is not the same as abuse. Discipline does not equal abuse. As soon as you talk about disciplining your child, you almost have to get, you know, his children's service is going to come for him. You know what? You know, because now we've given the kids the upper hand. Yes. You know, your child could call children's services and get you taken away. What in the world? Now I get abuse. Abuse is wrong. But you know what? We can't discipline now. And it's common sense. A discipline is not beating your child. 
It's not causing welts and beating them and punching them and knocking them around. Of course not. But now we don't even discipline. And then our child grow up with no idea of authority. If you love your child, you'll discipline them. But even in all that, the last thing you always have to remember, the perfect parent always shows love. That's why we don't have to worry about abuse if we do it God's way. Because you're doing it out of love. Discipline comes out of love. It's not to punish. You don't understand the difference between punishment and discipline? Punishment's revenge. Punishment's to put you in your place. Punishment's to make you feel bad. Discipline's to bring you back. Discipline's to bring you back to your senses. And God disciplines those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. After Adam and Eve sinned, it says there in Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden for, of, to work the ground from which he had been taken. God sent him out because he loved him. And did you notice death came into the garden because God had to kill animals to cover the shame and guilt of Adam and Eve. Blood had to be shed because of the sin that entered the garden. And it's a picture of the blood that was going to be shed to, come to cover our ultimate shame and guilt. The blood of Jesus Christ had to be shed because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's the penalty. That's how much God hates sin. So God said, I could leave Adam and Eve in this state of sin, but I'm not. I love them so much, I'm going to give them a chance to come back to me. And he covered their physical shame, but then he covered their spiritual shame through his son, Jesus Christ, because he loves us. He's a good father. Parents, do your children know that you love them? Again, I wasn't the perfect parent. There came a time we were missionaries in the Middle East, and I asked my son recently, I called him last night and said, can I share this story? He said, Dad, you said it, showed it, shared it before. I said, yeah, but never on TV, <laughs> YouTube. He said, yeah. We were living in the Middle East, and my wife was back in the States preparing for our daughter's wedding, so it was just my son and I. He's a teenage boy about to graduate from high school, and he's starting to flex his muscle, and he started didn't like my boundaries. I'm like, son. I've always told you, you, my house, these are the boundaries. And if you don't, what you're saying is you're a man enough to go establish your own house. So leave, but you're not going to stay here and follow mine. And it got real tense real quick. And uh, he got up and left. My wife calls me up. Hey, how's things going? Eh, it's great. Uh, where's our son at? I don't know. Calls the next day. Is he home? No. When's he coming home? I don't know if he is. It was by the third day I realized I was not going to get the Parent of the Year Award, and, uh, and it went on. But I wasn't going to chase after him because I had to stay the boundaries. But he knew he could always come home because I read the story of the prodigal son and the father let his son go out and eat with the pigs. He didn't go chase after him like the modern parent on TV and say, oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I don't want you to have to suffer. I don't want... No, he let him suffer. He let him, but he knew he could come home. Because without repentance, coming home means nothing. And repentance simply means changing direction. And my son changed direction and came home, and there were so many shed tears. But you know what? He worked with me. He was part of our ministry recently, and now he's going out and established his own work. God's word is true, and it will always prove true. 
Not easy. The world may give you an easier route, but in the end, it leads to destruction. God's word will always prove true. I want to shift for a moment. I've given you parents some things I would encourage you. Raise your children that way. Create a good environment. Speak words of life. Give your children responsibility. Set boundaries and make the consequence clear. Keep your word and discipline and always show love. It can change the direction of your family like it did ours. And now we're seeing the third and fourth generations. It's exciting times. Well, third generation. I don't know. I'm not that old yet. But I want to shift gears now for all of you. Because one of the things that taught me was not only about parenting, but I never learned how to be a good son. I never really grew up by the time I was hitting teenagers. I did whatever I wanted to do. I didn't know what it meant to be a good child. And I had to learn God still parents me this way. God still wants me to know he created a good environment for me. And it was sin. It was Adam and Eve that blew it. It was sin that came in the world. But am I the mad kid who's like, I don't like this house. I don't like my parents. I wish I lived over with them. I don't want to eat my peas. I'm going to do my thing. And that's how we're treating God. Oh, I may, I accepted the Lord when I was a young kid. Maybe you're thinking, but but you're still mad. You don't think God really did you well. He gave you a bad hand. You haven't been a good child. Some of you, you're suffering the consequence, the discipline of not following his path. He wanted to give you responsibility. You should have paid more attention in school. You should have went to a trade school and worked hard. But instead, you went off, wasted your time in college. Now you can't get a job. You're griping about your job. And now you have financial problems. And you're blaming on God. And God's saying, no, you're suffering because you didn't follow my way. You weren't a good child. You were that child who wasted away opportunities. And I travel all over the world, and if you live in America, you have amazing opportunities that a lot of the world doesn't have. Are you taking advantage of it, or are you being a complaining child? But for many of you, it's the third one. You don't like his boundaries. I'm going to do it my way. We bought into this Western individualistic, what the world's brought in of be your own man, be your own woman. You choose what's right. You know, the new sexual ethics. You sleep with who you want. You do with what you want. Who you who did you to let tell them what to do? I'll do my own thing. This old-fashioned book's not going to tell me. And then we see the consequences with the breakup of the homes, the breakup of the families. Man, I love that saying. Children tear up a house, that's true, but it's parents that break up a home. We don't want to listen to what God has to say. I'll do it my way. And right now, you're pound, your heart's pounding because you, know you know who you are, to be honest? You're that child who snuck out at night. Did you ever do that? You grew up in a good house, but you wanted to do wrong, and you knew mom and dad wouldn't let you, so you snuck out at night. I did it. Half of you did it. Don't confess it, but you know what I'm talking. But that's what you're doing now. You come and play the part of church, but you're sneaking out and doing the things of the world. But did you want to come back and you want to get the blessings of the church because we make you feel good here, but then you're going to go back out and sneak out and do some things of the world. How do you think that makes your parent, your heavenly father feel? How did that make... You feel as a parent when you found out your child did that. That's not beating you up, but it's the reality of some of you right now are realizing your life is not the way it's supposed to be because you haven't followed God's plan. He's a good parent, but it goes back to you don't really think he's good. You don't really trust him. You may say the words, but you're living your wife contrary to what the words say. 
And God's disciplining some of you right now. You're in the situation you're in because he loves you so much. He's got your attention. There was a man who came literally this week. I didn't tell this story in the other services, so bonus for you. <laughs> he came to me this week kind of confessing his sin, and he was all like, and I think he was wanting, because, you know, I'm a hard guy, and he wants to think I'm going to beat him and whip him, and he's supposed to go and grovel. And I said, hey, you've already confessed it to me. That means you're already, for, I mean, God's already forgiven you. He already paid the price on the cross. You know what you should do? You should start worshiping right now. You should walk out of here worshiping. He's like, what? And I said, because that means the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, convicting you of this. And it means God's loved you enough to bring you back to himself. So when you actually sin, you should use it as an opportunity to worship because God's willing to forgive you. And he loves you so much. He's disciplining you to bring you back to your senses. He's like, huh. That was pretty profound, huh? last point, my, quick, my, my key question, is God my heavenly father? Is God my heavenly father? You have to accept God as your heavenly father. It's not automatic. Jesus says in John, I mean the gospel says in John, of gospel John says about Jesus, but as many as received him, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Here's one of those boundary moments. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you believe that? Is God your heavenly Father? There's two people in this room right now, or three actually. There's those who've experienced God as their heavenly Father, and they're good sons and daughters. They're obeying. We're gonna, I've asked the worship team, we're going to sing that song, Good, Good Father, again. I want you to worship with reckless abandon. As we build worship team, can we like get into the jumping and just, just bring it? Let's, just, let's get crazy, okay? Can you who know God, how good he is, can you just worship with reckless abandon? But there's some of you, God's disciplining you. You've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you know you're sneaking out at night. You know you're not obeying what your Father wants from you. Come home. Realize he's loving you and disciplining you right now to bring you back, to give you the life he wants for you. And then there's some of you today, you've never experienced God as your Father. You have an opportunity right now you have an opportunity right now. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who died for your sins. And that because he died for your sins, you can have forgiveness. And God now will be your Father in heaven who will accept you into his kingdom forever. You don't have to do anything, but as we're worshiping, just sing and just pray and say, God, I want you to be my Father. I accept Jesus. I'm changing the direction of my life to follow after you now. And today could be the day that God becomes your father. Let's worship and let's experience the God who is our father in heaven.
Be seated right now. Just go ahead and take a seat with that spirit of worship in your heart. Were you able to say that? Were you able to say he's a good, good father? Have you tasted and seen how good God is? Would you bow your head and close your eyes right now? For some of you, you're under conviction because you know God is your father, but you haven't been living as a good son or daughter. And I want to give you an opportunity right now before God to change direction. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a profession before before the Lord to say, Lord, I've been going in the wrong direction, but I'm coming back. I want to do life your way, not my way. If that's God calling you to that moment of changing direction, would you just slip up your hand? One, two, three. Just raise up your hand. Thank you for those hands. God sees that. You're not doing it. You're doing it for God, and you're saying, God, I want to come home. I want to live as a good son or daughter because you're a good, good father. You can put those hands down. Thank you. But for some of you, maybe August 11th, 2019 is the day that you realize now God is your father and you're ready to become a follower of Jesus Christ and believe that he died for your sins and he was raised on the third day so that you could have eternal life and that God would not just be a distant God, but now he would be your heavenly father who loves you. Maybe today is the day, like so many of us in the past have made that decision where I'm changing the direction and I'm now gonna become a follower of Jesus Christ. If that is you, I'm gonna ask you to make that decision before the Lord right now and raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Just slip up your hands and just say, yes, I want to make God my heavenly father. Thank you. See those hands? You can just put them up and put them right back down. God sees those. And the word of God is very clear. Those who come to the Lord, he will in no way cast out. And you don't have to do anything, but literally you can walk out here and say, I am now a child of God because of what Jesus has done. Father God, for every hand that is raised is a sign of your Holy Spirit working in their hearts. Because, Lord, we know apart from you, you're the one who draws us to you because you're the loving Father. It's really not our decision. It's your decision to rec- for us to recognize who you are and how much you love us. So, Lord, for every hand that is raised, would you just pour an overwhelming love upon them? May they walk out of here knowing that their sins are forgiving. May they walk out of here knowing that you are taking them back into the house and saying, welcome home, child. You are now part of my kingdom. I will bless you and I will love you forever. Nothing will break away and separate you from the love of God. in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, bless them beyond all that they ask or imagine for your honor and your glory here in Tampa. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Oh, can we give it up? Man, one more time. If you made that decision for the first time, we are so excited uh, that you would decide to make that decision here with us. Can I say that your salvation is immediate? but your transformation takes time. And we wanna walk that transformation journey out with you. Right on the back of that connection card, there's a space for you to just check off. Hey, I accepted Christ, I rededicated my life, or maybe you're ready for that next, next step, and you're thinking about jumping into a pool and having your whole church family cheer you on. We wanna be a part of that. It's so important. Right in one more time, anybody who was impacted by that amazing message, can we give it up for the doctor of the house? Oh my gosh, no, absolutely, absolutely. We honor you, we honor you. Thank you for serving here. Absolutely amazing. 
I know you're cheering online as well. Hey, well, we're going to go into an opportunity for us to show our generosity to God for what he's already done for us. Uh, it's not for Radiant. Uh, I promise you, Radiant is not trying to fill seats. We're trying to populate heaven, people. Amen. Um, so we have an opportunity to be generous. And you may be thinking, hey, how do I give? Well, there's three ways to give. It's on the screen or it's right there. Uh, if you're watching online, I'd love to give you 400 different stories about what God is doing. We had a serve day yesterday. We got a brand new location that's about to open. Amen. We have so many great things that happen. But I want to just tell you one story. Uh, it's about a guy named Stephen. And he said it was okay. Uh, can I tell you that Stephen works with Josue. And Josue works with us at the Heights. He does our Dream Team Central. He's amazing. Um, I was able, because of your generosity, to invite Stephen along with Josue to church. And can I tell you, he still hasn't quite come into the house of God yet, but he messed around and shot me a text message and said, hey, my brother's been in the hospital for a very long time, and it looks like he's on a ventilator. Could you just pray with me? And can I say not because of anything that I did, but because of your generosity and the power and grace of our great God, I was able to pray with him, give him some hope, give him a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of clarity. And for some reason, God so decided to bring his brother off of a ventilator, to wake him up off of a coma, and to let him know that, hey, there's a radiant church somewhere that is praying for me. So can I say, I am so thankful for the fact that you guys are giving to locations and allowing the church to be local for people. Can I pray for your finances? God, I thank you so much for these people who have given, not to us, God, not to our name, God, but to yours, to your kingdom. Let it all be the glory. And I pray a blessing over the rest of their finances, God, that because they're sowing into a, a fruitful place, that we might steward well and that you would allow them to steward over their households and their families and their finances as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody said. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.